Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, May the 4th, 2023, and it's turning into quite a May on Keynote, at least for young author writers. On Tuesday, I had the great honor to have Angeline Booley, uh, number one uh, New York Times chart best-selling author. Many of you will be familiar with her book, Firekeeper's Daughter, which was included in Time Magazine's 100 All-Time Best Young Author, uh, Young Reader uh, Books. She has a new book out uh, called Warrior Girl Unearthed. And in our discussion, um, uh, Angeline uh, Booley stressed the need to tell stories our way, particularly um, as indigenous Americans. And then um, yesterday I had Alice Oseman on the show, another top young, uh, young reader author. She's the author of Heartstopper, hugely successful series. And her 2014 book, Solitaire, has just been re-released in the United States. And I talked to uh, Alice yesterday uh, about uh, authentic storytelling. And we, of course, talked about book banning, particularly in the United States. This idea of authenticity, of telling stories our own way, uh, is going to be continued today with my guest, Leah Johnson, another top writer. I don't quite know what I've done to deserve such talent on Keen On. Uh, many of you will be familiar with her book, You Should See Me in a Crown, another young uh, young reader author. Uh, it was like uh, Bula's book, included in Time Magazine's all-time best 100 books. And Leah is back with a new book. It's out this week. Uh, it's a middle-grade book, and it is entitled Ellie Engel, saves herself. If you look at the cover, it might suggest that Ellie Engel saves the world, but actually it is herself. The world is crossed out and replaced with herself. And I'm thrilled and honored that Leah Johnson is joining us from New York City, where she used to live. She uh, is now based in Indianapolis. Leah, uh, congratulations on the new book. In, in terms of what you're trying to do with this new book, uh, are you continuing in this theme of, of telling stories your own way or our own way uh, and focusing on authentic storytelling? Is that one way to begin thinking about this new book? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think the the go to phrase for a lot of writers, especially writers of color, is that we're writing books that we wish we would have had when we were the age of our characters. But past that, I'm really trying to create a type of blueprint for how young people can move through the world without fear or shame. I think if we can see that it's possible in fiction, we can begin to imagine that type of future for ourselves. And so that's the kind of work that I'd like to continue to do and always couch it in something a little fantastical. Leah, how do you do that? I mean, it's easy to say you want to do that. And of course, all writers want to do it. But it's easier said than done, isn't it, when it comes to writing these kinds of books? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, writing is a often solitary, very isolating experience. And so 
it's difficult inherently, but the act of crafting stories that are authentic and speak to what it's like to be a young person who is trying to figure out how they're going to navigate the world, that part comes naturally to me. That part feels really easy because for for me as a queer person, I came out in my 20s. And so a lot of my first experiences, my first loves, my first heartbreaks, my first, you know, huge experiences that a lot of people get to experience in their teen years, I was experiencing for the first time a couple years ago. And so I felt really close to that 16-year-old self where everything feels hugely important and also just completely um, unmanageable at the same time. And that's, that's traveled with me through every genre, every age group that I've written for. It's interesting you bring up age groups. And of course, there's a great deal of controversy about when you start writing about some of these issues. Uh, your prize-winning book, you, you Should See Me in a Crown, at least according to your website, is considered a young adult book. Whereas this new book, Ellie Engel Saves Herself, is considered a middle grade book. What's the difference? And, and, and are these boundaries rather artificial? You know, I think the boundaries are helpful for marketing. I think they're helpful for figuring out where the book should be shelved in a store or in a library. But to me, my job doesn't change at all from middle grade to YA. The tone changes. Sometimes the way I address certain issues changes. But at the end of the day, my job is to tell honest stories about what it means to be a young person who is trying to navigate the world, especially a young person who is also black and queer and a woman. And that transcends genre boundaries. It transcends marketing categories, age distinctions, um, so, yeah, I think I think it has its place creating genre boundaries or distinctions. But for me, it doesn't change much except for the tone of the story. And when you say the tone, what does that mean? What is an appropriate tone for a middle grade book as opposed to a young adult book? Yeah, in middle grade, I mean, I get to I get to play a lot more. I get to be a little more expressive, a little more experimental, because I think younger readers are willing to suspend belief in a way that as you get older becomes more difficult. The imagination is much more tangible for 12 year olds than it is sometimes for 17 year olds. Um, and so that's the sort of tone I'm I'm thinking about. I'm also thinking a lot about. Um, the kind of jokes that you can make in a middle grade book that younger readers will think are funnier. I'm making a lot of like fart jokes in this book, which is yeah. great, but I can't necessarily, well, I could, but I won't take it into my YA. And so um, it's just really being locked into who is your audience and what is it you're trying to accomplish and, and calibrating your writing for that. Yeah, I probably should be a middle grade writer. That's my level of humor. Um <laughs> You suggested that, and, and I'm not sure whether that's encouraging or sad, Just you, you, you suggested that middle grade readers tend to have, what, deeper, broader, more flexible imaginations than young, mm -hmm. young adults. What happens between the age of 12 and 15, Leah, to change yeah. kids as readers? 
That's a great question. I mean, you know, I'm sure that there is an actual psychology to this that would be really interesting to delve into. But from my perspective, from what I've seen, it's that the older you get, the more it's expected that you have the answers. When you're 16, 17 years old, people are asking you to make decisions about the rest of your life. They're asking you where you want to go to school. They're telling you that your transcripts from high school are going to follow you forever. They're saying that maybe your high school sweetheart is going to be your forever partner. By the time you get to that time in your life, you are expected to behave in a way that is mature, more mature. And being mature is often branded as being more serious. And I think that that transition into early adulthood is not conducive for the type of uh, imagination that you get to have as an elementary and a middle schooler when people are like, yeah, you still get recess. You still get to play games with your friends. It's still cool to like ride bikes to each other's like tree houses and stuff. So, um, I think it's a natural progression. It's not to say that the imagination disappears, just to say that it changes, it evolves. Do you think it's the job of a writer like yourself who straddles this middle grade young adult reading territory to maintain the innocence of your reader? In other words, to mm. to, to make the the young adult feel a little bit as if they're still in middle grade and everything is possible? You know, I think that the job of a writer is to tell the truth. And that's my main goal, is to write stories that speak honestly to the world that we live in and the experiences of young people today. And I think there's this expectation or this idea that young people need protecting. They need us to tell them what to believe and what to think and how to move through the world. And I think they're capable of a lot more than what we have often allowed them access to. And so what I try to do in my books and what, what I try to do in real life is to be as honest as possible with young people about what it means to be a human, which is to say that it's scary work making yourself and remaking yourself over and over again throughout your life. Um, and that's what I, that's what I want to protect. I want to protect their, their selfhood. I want to give young people the tools they need to define themselves for themselves. And I don't know if that's inherently innocent work or not, but I know it's necessary work. Yeah. It's uh, it's an interesting, um, argument that, uh, it's in young people's interest to tell them the truth rather than to sugarcoat it uh, mm -hmm. or to misrepresent the truth because we don't think for one reason or other they're ready for it. Yeah, I mean, the debate about what young people should and shouldn't read is, of course, enormously politicized in our, in our culture. We had Kelly Yang, I'm sure you're familiar with her work, mm -hmm. another uh, award-winning uh, young or uh, young young reader author uh, finally seen is her latest book. She was on the show talking about uh, the new culture wars over kids' books, and of course talking about DeSantis's policies in Florida. I mean, I'm guessing you're no great fan of Ron DeSantis. What do you make of the current 
culture wars um uh leah are, are they different from previous ones are they rooted in racism sexism hostility to uh different uh sexualities what's really going on here yeah you know um you you mentioned i'm not a huge fan of ron DeSantis. absolutely not actually i would say he's my my enemy uh, I despise him because I think his entire job is to sow seeds of discontent and confusion and hatred. And I think that if there is a job of our, our politicians, of our legislators, it should be to protect the most marginalized, the most vulnerable among us, not to continue to alienate and isolate them. And so this job of book banning, this work of book banning isn't unfamiliar Right. Like we've been engaged in these conversations for a long time. We've been banning books, burning books for as long as books have existed. And so in many ways, this feels deeply, deeply unoriginal. It's rooted in this idea that anything other than what is historically the center of the conversation, anything outside of that does not deserve a place on our shelves, does not deserve to be talked about, needs to be uh, pushed further into the margins. And that goes against everything that I believe in. It is counter to everything that I am. And that's, that's the work of book banning. That's the goal, is to not only remove our stories and remove our books, but they're, they're interested in removing queer people from public life. And... That's why this is such an insidious business. Book banning is such insidious business. It's because if it was just about the books, sure, we'd be able to combat this a little differently. But this is an ideological war we're fighting, and it's a war on people's humanity. And that is something that's worth being on the front lines for. Uh when I spoke to Yang, uh, we also talked about this debate, this controversy in the United Kingdom about whether to revise the work of Roald Dahl, rewrite it, uh, because some of it seemed and was actually rather racist. How, how do you feel about tampering uh, with books, particularly kids' books from previous ages that, that, that may have been racist or sexist or homophobic. Do you think that there's reason to do that? Or should we just leave the books alone and let the kids make their own minds up about them? You know, I think it's a really interesting question and something I've been thinking a lot about. So I was raised in the era of the Internet. I was online in the earliest days of social media. And so when I was in high school, I made a lot of posts that I w I'm not necessarily proud of now. There's a lot of albums on Facebook where I'm wearing ridiculous, embarrassing outfits or, uh, you know, statuses where I was saying things that I, I don't agree with anymore. Um, and some of those things I have erased along the way, but some of them still exist online. And part of that is because it feels dishonest to me to act as though that wasn't a part of my making, if that version of myself did not influence the person that I became today. So I said all that to say, to, say, to, to act like doll 
and the stories that we read didn't influence the stories we tell now or the way we move through the world now feels dishonest to me. I don't understand going back and changing it, frankly, because it is a product of its time. And we can let that be a product of its time and acknowledge that it was flawed, acknowledge that it had its issues. And instead of regurgitating these same stories, instead of regurgitating these same narratives over and over again, let's engage with what's happening right now. Let's engage with writers who are speaking to what readers need today. Let's keep Kelly Yang on the shelves. Let's keep George M. Johnson on the shelves. Let's make sure that kids have access to Toni Morrison and Baldwin, because those are the writers that are doing the, the work of, of helping people remake themselves and identify themselves. And I don't need Doll to do that for me because I have other people to do it. So let's just make sure that those stories are accessible. But that leads us back to the conversation about denying readers access to those stories. What does that mean for us? What does that do for the culture? Let's talk specifically about Ellie Angle. What does she bring or what do you want her to bring to the shelves that currently isn't there? What Tell me a little bit more about who she is and what the book's about. Yeah, so Ellie Ingle Saves Herself is about a girl who believes herself to be exceedingly ordinary, and she thinks the only thing that makes her different or strange is that she has a crush on her best friend and she has no idea what to do about it. And so the entire story is a superhero origin story, sort of in the, in the tone of the Babysitter's Club. But at its core, the superpowers, the discovery of those powers, what it means when other people find out about them, is an allegory for queerness. It's absolutely following the track of what it feels like to be someone who is coming out and doesn't get to come out on their own terms and has to uh, be publicly queer before they're ready. And... I hope that when young people read the story, when they when they get into it, I hope that they're able to see that, one, all those things that made you feel strange and isolated and alone are your superpowers. They are the things that make you special and incredible. But also that even if you feel like you don't have a community where you live currently, there are always going to be people out there who see you for who you are and are excited about inviting you into their lives. Your book's been included uh, on a number of lists. Uh, one I found, 114 queer and feminist books coming your way spring 2023. Do you want, and you seem to suggest you do, do you want the book to be seen as a queer and or feminist book? Is, is that how, are you comfortable with that? Or, or is the book broader than, than simply think of it in, in, in those terms? I mean, of course, there are universal themes in this story. Of course, I think people who don't identify the way that I identify can find bits and pieces of themselves to connect to and and you know, be seen by, but everything I am is a product of moving through the world as a black queer woman. And so when people talk about my book as a black book or a queer book or a feminist book, that's absolutely true. Those, those are all parts of my identity that have influenced the way I'm able to tell stories. And also, whether they call it that or not, it influences the way my book is positioned on shelves or on lists or on TV shows or podcasts. And so I'm 
always, always proud to be included in the conversations about queer texts, queer literature, uh, feminist texts, because that puts me in a continuum of, of the writers who got me here, the writers who taught me what it means to do this work. And so I'm honored to be included in lists like that. How much of your goal, um, Leah, is to create, shall we say, political agency of changing the world, not just your own history? We had a show last month with Brian Selznick, um, a very, another popular writer. He has a new book out, Big Tree, another young adult book about changing the environment or getting kids to rethink their relationship with nature. Is one of the goals of Ellie Engel and your other work to get kids into the world, not just to change their own lives, but to change the world itself? I think all of us have a role in what becomes of our future, right? I think individual responsibility is a huge part of how we understand our contributions to society. But I also think that it's important to release young people from that responsibility of saving all of us. I know you've probably seen these conversations where it's like, oh, this next generation is so smart. They're so politically active. They're going to solve climate change. They're going to upend our government and figure out how to how to be more democratic. And past that, you know, there's this responsibility on black women in particular um, you know, this beast of burden idea that we have to carry the sins of everyone and solve for everything. And I want to release young people from that responsibility. It's not fair to ask them to fix the things that we failed on. I think what we should ask them is, how can you, as an individual, save yourself how can you as an individual be the best, most honest version of yourself? And how can that influence the way we engage with each other? Um, so much of the way we talk about each other now um, is so isolating. Like I'm so different from my neighbor. They, I, they're scary because they, they're nothing like me. And I, I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's the case. I think if we were able to see each other from a human perspective, I think we could probably live together safer and more harmoniously. But it takes us recognizing that our neighbor who is different from us is human. And I think that's a difficult thing for people to wrap their head around. In a sense, Leah, are you suggesting that we all need to go back to being middle graders to return to that innocence where we don't think in those terms. And perhaps, obviously, young people are going to be reading your book, middle graders, young adults. But in a sense, adults should be reading your books too. Or you sh we, we should be, we collectively, you, me, everybody else, our audience, we should be in the business of trying to make us all a little bit more like children, recapturing that innocence of childhood. Absolutely. And I think actually by the time you get to middle school, you've already been inundated with so many ideas about your neighbors and, and how different they are and, and why you should be afraid of them and why you should alienate them. And I actually think we should go earlier than that. I think we should go back to what it's like to be in kindergarten when the person who's sitting next to you during circle time, as long as they have the flavor of juice box you like, you can be best friends with them. Like there is such a simplistic, 
simplicity to being that young that I, I miss, but I also think that we should use as a sort of uh, blueprint for how we can identify shared experiences and interests, um, not in spite of our, the things that make us who we are, but because of the whole of who we are. Lots of controversy, Leo, again, I don't need to tell you this these days about young people not reading, only staring at their smartphones, watching YouTube and TikTok. Is there something? I'm sure that you're in discussion with studios and television networks about turning Ellie Engel into a a show of some sort. Uh, But is there something particular about books? I mean, you're obviously a writer drawn to books. Is there something about books which maintains and... um, cherishes the innocence of children can the same thing be done with video uh that you're trying to do in in your work or or, are a book special when it comes to kids you know that's a really interesting question i think that books do now and have always played a really specific role in the way we think about stories but stories are also so much broader than books. I have chosen this as my medium because it's the one that resonated the most with me growing up and it's where my my particular skill set lies. But I also think, you know, we often look at the way young people engage with their phones or with social media or with technology or whatever um, as though it's a bad thing that is is like rotting their brains or it's it's ruining the way we we talk to each other or it's it's um, somehow more divisive the reality is every generation has had their TikTok. every generation had their myspace you know like back in my day it was a little different it was we were still myspace and facebook um but we find ways to develop community and develop our sense of self through whatever the medium is of the moment And so I learned how to tell stories because I was writing on the internet. I was writing fan fiction. I learned how to be a part of community because I was engaging with fandom on uh, fanfiction.net. And so there's something to be said for the importance of books, but there's also something to be said for the value of finding community in any way you can. Final question, Leah. Um, The book, cover for people listening as i suggested at the beginning is intriguing ellie angle saves herself uh is the title of the book but when you look at the cover it's ellie angle saves the world and then the world is crossed out and replaced with herself aren't those two those synonymous if ellie angle can save herself isn't she also changing saving the world and vice versa Maybe, maybe. But I think by removing the world or saying that, you know, your first responsibility is not to the world, it's to yourself. I think it frees her from these ideas of of carrying the responsibilities of everyone around us. I also think it upends the idea of the superhero genre a little bit, right? Like a superhero's job is to save everyone. A superhero's job is to be uh, the great white knight that rushes in and rescues us all. But 
everyday acts of heroism of our librarians and our teachers and our nurses and, and our doctors. I think everyday acts of heroism wherein you maybe only save one person is just as important.